Okay. We'll go ahead and open in a word of prayer, but we are talking about praying powerful prayers. And um, had a lot of fun last week. There were just a few of us, but I got to tell lots of stories, which I always enjoy doing. But um, I have to say that uh, Andrew Womack has been a huge influence on my own life. Did anybody get to see the services this weekend? Uh, yeah, I went to all three. Amazing. Um, so you may actually, I love that he teaches the Word of God, especially about healing, just super powerful. They see many, many miracles in their ministry as well. So anyway, a lot of the things that have changed my life and believing over the last year has actually come from just really focusing in on a lot of his um, studies, which are just completely and totally word-based. So but let's go ahead and pray over the, the word tonight. Father God, we love you and thank you um, that we are here to receive something some revelation, Father God, that you promised through your Holy Spirit. And so I just thank you that each one of us here, that um, you would just help us to hear things in a different way, to see things in a different way, and to receive revelation that truly changes us from the inside out. I pray tonight, Father God, that we will be empowered by your word to step out in areas of faith that we have never dared to step, to tread on ground, Lord, that has seemed to be impossible. But we just thank you, God, that nothing is impossible with you. And so we give you all the glory and all the praise for what you're going to reveal to us here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Really what we're talking about, and I think it's very important to lay the foundation for this, is that we have been given authority. And so another thing that we could um, maybe rephrase this and reframe it is the authority of the believer. And Jesus was very, very clear that before he went to the cross, and then we know he died, he rose again, he appeared and then there was that period where he was with them for a time, and then he ascended into heaven. Before he ascended into heaven, and they weren't going to see him anymore, uh, we find in the final chapters of the of book of John, the things that Jesus decided, these are the most important things that I need to say to you, because in a little while, I'm not going to be here anymore. And there were many things that as he spoke, um, we can grab onto because he was talking to his disciples, obviously, and we are also disciples. So they are, they are the same words that he spoke to his disciples. I believe that we can hang on to and, and to release faith to receive. But he said in John 14, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than he will do. Wait a minute. Let's stop right there. Greater works than what Jesus was doing. Uh, believers, people who believe in Jesus. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Very familiar scripture. But it's so, so amazing that Jesus, when he spoke to um, sickness, when he cursed the fig tree, he didn't have to say in the name of Jesus, right? Because he was Jesus, right? So he is speaking from his authority. And so now he's talking to the disciples, and he's giving them permission to speak 
in the same authority. He says, whatever you ask for in my name. It's never in our own name. It's never because we've studied enough and we're so mature and we're so super spiritual. Mm -mm. It's always because he gave us permission to use the authority that is in his name. And all of heaven, all the power of heaven is backing the name of Jesus. And he didn't just limit it to something small. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Okay, how many whatevers can you come up with? You know, we limit God when we think, oh, that's probably too hard. Well, I love to say there is a natural course of things. And we can go along with the natural course of things. But if we will stop and realize the power and the authority that we've been given, I believe you can invite the supernatural to invade the natural. And now we have God involved in whatever it is that we're praying for and praying about. And so he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That gives me so much peace and rest because um, sometimes I think we're afraid to pray for something or maybe we're afraid to lay hands on someone to pray for them because we think that we're supposed to be doing something. Uh, what it says here, Jesus said, I'll do it. If you'll lay hands on it, I'll do it. If you'll dare to believe my word, I'll do it. If you'll use my name, I'll do it. And it's not to glorify us, to make us look so super spiritual and another notch in our belt. And how many people have you raised from the dead? You know, none of that. But that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he repeats himself. When Jesus repeats himself, he really means it. It's very, very important. He says, ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we talked a little bit last week about, I believe there's kind of a, a sequence of being able to receive. You know, when you've walked with the Lord for a long time, there's a lot of things we know. And, um, and, and we get really good teaching, and the Word of God teaches us things. But what I've learned is that I, I at one time, I kind of took inventory of my own life. And I said, okay, I see all these great and precious promises but how many of them am I actually experiencing in the reality of this physical world, in this physical body, in my mind, in my, in my thinking? How much of it have I actually enjoyed and experienced? And God isn't withholding any good thing. We do know that. And so I have been on a quest to say, okay, God, what is it? If there's a disconnect, it's not God withholding any good thing. So the disconnect might be right here. And I'm willing to say, God, what is it that you need to change in me so that I can experience what you call the Zoe life, the life that God enjoys? And that's when he said um, in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come to give you life, the same life that God enjoys. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> and so I'm saying, I know there's more. I know there's more. So where, where, reveal to me what I need to see to be able to receive it. And I will say this, we have to learn as believers to be good receivers. Believers need to be good receivers. If we feel unworthy, if we feel like there's something I have to do to get something that God has already done, then now I'm, 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 it's all based on my own effort. But we have to learn to just simply receive 
what Jesus has already done. And I like to say it in three ways. That's some of the things that I feel like God has shown me that's helped me. is uh, I believe when we pray, we see it, believe it, receive it. I believe we need to see it with the eye of our faith because you don't have to believe for something that you can already hold in your hands. And we, we talked about how there, here, here's poor Thomas, one of the, the disciples, who um, has a bad rap for the rest of eternity. He's called the Doubting Thomas, right? You know, one little slip up and that's what happens, right? But no, Thomas had this problem where he said, uh, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead until I see it, until I touch him, until I can put my hands in his side and see his nail-pierced hands. That's not faith. That's saying, I won't believe it until I see it. Faith says, I see it, <laughs> I believe it, before I can hold it or see it manifest in my body. It takes faith to see it. Um, the Bible talks about seeing with the eyes of your heart. So we have this part of us that can see it. We're not talking about our physical eyes, but we can see it in a new way, um, and that is by faith. Ephesians 1, 19-23 says, And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of His power in and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of His mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This is long, but so powerful. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. So here in Ephesians, we're being told that Jesus, everything he accomplished, he accomplished it for the present time, and then he also accomplished it for the age to come. So there's nothing that slipped through the cracks. There's no modern uh, issue, problem, disease, anything that Jesus did not already cover. And he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, which is his body, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. There's some really powerful words in there, and I, I look at the word immeasurable, that there is an immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power in us. You know, we sing that song, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. What problem, sickness, sickness, disease, or emotion, or situation would be more powerful than resurrection power, the power to raise someone from the dead? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so to understand that that power is in us. In fact, it says that the fullness of him fills us. Everything that Jesus is, is already in us. And so we have everything that we need to do what Jesus said. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
Luke 10, 19. Jesus said to believers again, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we ascribe more power to the devil than we do to God himself. We are more inclined to think, oh, I'm, uh, whatever the enemy tries to throw on me causes me to be powerless. But it says here that the authority that we've been given by Jesus Christ himself is over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Nothing by any means will hurt you. And there's so many absolute words there. You know, it's not some of the power of the enemy. It's not some things might still hurt you. Jesus provided the kind of authority that gives us the right and the power to trample on anything that the devil tries to throw on us over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I'm taking that one to the bank. And that means that if something is coming against me, it's like, no, you don't have any right. I take authority over you. But our authority does not come from being good enough, being, you know, doing enough. But it has already been given us by Jesus Christ himself. And I think about this, you know, last week I, I shared, I'm struggling. I had this weird cold thing going on. I'm still kind of getting over the croupy sound. I don't even like the way I sound right now. <laughs> but um, so, and I've been gradually getting better. But, you know, if, if we have sickness in our body, would it be true to say that now that sickness has authority over me because it has authority over my health. It is, it is overpowering the health that I really desire to walk in, and it's like invading my body, right? And so Jesus has, been, has given us permission to use his name, backed by all the power of heaven himself, to take back our authority and tell sickness, you have no authority here. Because remember, he said, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So whatever is hurting us, we need to realize that we can take authority over it in the name of Jesus. And there's no condemnation in that, because I think everything, that life throws things at you. There, we might be experiencing sickness and symptoms. It might be a financial lack. It might be a tendency to, uh, to feel depressed or down. Um, it is not a matter of condemnation. Oh, woe is me. You know, there's something wrong with me. But I think it's just a realization that I think in the Christian life, we are either giving authority away or taking our authority back. Because Adam and Eve gave their authority away. They gave their authority, the authority that they um, had been given. Uh, they were created in God's image. There was nothing wrong with their lives. It was absolutely perfect. And yet they had, because they were created in God's image, they were also created with free will. And if I think, if I were God, I would have made sure nobody had the choice. Because <laughs> that would be much safer, right? But that's not love, is it? That's not love saying, you know, uh, creating robots that have no choice to love God. So here they're living this perfect life, and they get, they get duped by the devil, and he tells them a lie, and they agree with the lie, and they gave their authority away in the garden. 
But Jesus came and took back that authority, and then he gave it to us, his believers. So I believe our position in Christ is to stand in the same authority that Jesus has and to realize that he has already put all these things under our feet. But you know what? All we're doing is simply daring to believe what God has already done for us. And again, this whole thing about greater things will you do in my name. I can't even really imagine. Uh, My husband and I, we sail. We have a sailboat. And our first trip, um, I think we've been to Mackinac Island four times now. Our first trip up there, we did not do our homework. We were still really new at a lot of things when it came to sailing. Lake Michigan, Lake Michigan can be a very uh, wild and crazy place. <laughs> but we decided that we had to get up to Mackinac that day. We didn't check the weather. We didn't even really check um, the, the route that we should be taking. And it very quickly, the weather changed, as it does in Michigan. And we missed a window of opportunity to turn around and go into safe harbor. We found ourselves having to very quickly change our course. And we were um, heading right into shallow waters. Who knew that like a couple miles off of the upper peninsula on your way up there, not even the upper peninsula, like uh, as you're getting near um, the straits there of Mackinac, you have to sail way out to get around very shallow waters. Well, suddenly we're looking at our, our uh, uh, navigation and we're heading into five feet of water. It's like, what? You know, that was just a complete surprise. Um, a mistake we will never make again. But so we had to make a very uh, drastic change in our course, which put us in line with waves that were coming at us broadside. And we were getting hit by eight to 10 foot waves, not fun took all the fun out of sailing. And believe me, we were praying, we were praying. And um, at that point, my husband looked at me and his eyes were this big. My husband is brave, he is strong, he always knows everything that we're supposed to be doing. And he looks at me and he says, Karen, I don't think I can do this. And I went, no, 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 you don't get to be afraid. You do not get to be afraid. (laughs) I said, okay, we have to do this. We couldn't turn around. It was more dangerous to, 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 change that course at that moment. Like I said, we missed our opportunity. We should have just gone into um, a nice harbor. But anyway, so here we are. We're praying. Boy, are we praying. We're commanding the wind and the waves. And, um, and I had this thought that I believe, and I really believe this, that if we needed to abandon ship, that we would have been able to walk on those waves and to safety. You know, Jesus walked on the water, and this reminded me that he says, greater things will you do. Well, instead of walking on waves, <laughs> he gave us the ability, and I know he did, because without my glasses or contacts, I have a very hard time seeing even to the back of the room. And my husband is doing everything he can. Our, um, our autopilot would not uh, hold course in those kinds of ways. We were just being knocked all over, and it took everything he had two hands on the wheel, just bearing down and keeping us on course. And, and so I, the thing that I really believe the Holy Spirit downloaded was, as we were praying, I said, Bill, we need to take this one wave at a time. And so I became the wave watcher, 
And I noticed that we went like eight foot, eight foot, ten. It was like all of a sudden there was this big wave. And then there'd be a couple more smaller ones. And all of a sudden, a big one. And so as long as he was ready for it, we were able to navigate it. And like I said, the other miracle was he says, you're going to have to look for the buoys. And I'm going, I can't usually see past the end of the boat. But all of a sudden, I could see these really little tiny, they looked like little crosses in the water. And I said, I think that's one down there, because we had to stay in the lane. We had to find the shipping lane. And the water is just crashing around us, and the wind is blowing. There were no other boats on the water. Now we know why. So we became, we became very quickly uh, realized our mistake. But anyway, we kept going. And I began to see these little tiny, what appeared to be little crosses in the water. And when you get next to them, they're huge buoys. So we were within the markers. We navigated through. We saw a huge freighter go through. We went, that's where we're going. And what I love about that story is those waves were battering us. And yet, it was like God helped us to stand our ground and to just focus and pray and believe we were going to be safe. And then he showed us the way. And then when we got a chance to get into the um, boating lane, shipping lane, we were able to turn. So now the waves were behind us and not crashing us broadside. And um, now <laughs> the waves were propelling us and pushing us toward our destiny. And we made it to Mackinac in record time because those same waves that had been battering us now propelled us to our destiny. And I like to say that in life, I think you can look at waves as destructive or you can allow them to, to propel you to your, de- your destiny when you trust God to get you through. And uh, I, I was glad we didn't have to walk on waves uh, we didn't have to abandon ship, and uh, God was definitely with us. So, But we can take authority, and it's our right, according to the Word of God, to take that authority. I love the story about the Roman centurion. Um, Jesus said, uh, uh, he, he told this story, and he said, I haven't seen this great of faith in all of Israel. And the reason he said that is because this man was not a Hebrew. He was not a Jew. And so in Israel, his chosen people, they were not demonstrating the same kind of faith as this Roman centurion. And so the Roman centurion apparently had a servant whom he loved who was very sick. And it appears that he was lying on on his deathbed. And we find that There's two different accounts. One says that the Roman centurion came and talked to Jesus. The other said that he sent um, his friends to talk to Jesus. But either way, he was representing the Roman centurion. And so Jesus, here he is on his way. And um, when he was near the house of the centurion, he sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Therefore, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just speak a word, and my slave will be healed. For I also am a man subject to authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. And so when the messengers returned, they found the servant well and healed. And see, this uh, Roman centurion understood authority. He says, I'm a man of authority. But he said to Jesus, I recognize that you are a man of authority. And you do not even need to come and lay hands on my servant. Just speak the word. Just speak the word. And again, he didn't have to say in Jesus' name. He spoke the word and released all the power of heaven. And this man 
was healed without Jesus even appearing um, and laying hands on this man. So I want to say we are not beggars when it comes to receiving everything that Jesus has provided, but I believe that God is honored when we are commanders, when we take the authority that he has given us. And so right after the centurion slave is healed, we just get a whole string of miracles that Jesus walked in demonstrating his authority. He, uh, they encounter a funeral procession, procession of a young man who died, and Jesus takes authority over death and raises this man from the dead. And he says, he didn't play, pray these flowery prayers, and he didn't say, God, if it is your will, please heal this man and, and, and rise from the dead. He says, young man, he spoke to the dead man in the casket. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. Bam. End of sentence, period. If we could have seen what happened in the supernatural realm, it would have been, again, unleashing all the resurrection power. That was going to, that same power that was going to raise him. He released, and they saw this young man um, raised from the dead. Again, I love, to, I love to study, how did Jesus operate? We see all these miracles. If, we're sub, if we have the authority to do those things and even greater, let's study what he did. What did he say? And I want to say it's not what he said. It's not how he said it. It's the power that was there because it was in his name. How about the man who had been sick for 38 years lying by the pool of Beth, Bethesda? And you know the story where it said that there was an angel of the Lord who would stir the pool, first went in, got healed. And this poor guy, being lame for 38 years, never made it on time. He said, I, there's no one here to throw me in the pool on time. Everybody always gets there before me. And so Jesus said, so what did Jesus say? I like this. He said, do you want to be healed? If we're not careful, if we've been sick for a very long time, we might even receive it as part of our identity. This is who I am. I have this sickness, and we can accept it. And you know what? That's okay. But if you want to be healed, there is a way to be healed. And I love that Jesus even asked him, "Do you want to be healed? You've been sick for thirty-eight years. Are you still? Are you gonna? Do you want to be a lame man for the rest of your life, or do you want to be healed?" And after that, um, the man did explain, well, I'd like to be healed, but nobody can get me into the water on time. So Jesus, here he did. He didn't say, Father, please heal this man, if it be your will. But he took full authority over the man's 38-year condition when he said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Command, command, go. (laughs) Do this and immediately the man was made well took up his bed and he walked i love that jesus is a man of few words sometimes we think we have to keep throwing words at things what we need to do is just simply walk in simple faith here's another example the disciples are afraid they're going to die kind of like we did in the in the boat where we were getting bashed by all these huge waves and uh and apparently i i mean you can't fault them because in, um, in the Amplified, it says that this particular storm was of hurricane proportions. And it's very possible they would have died. <laughs> but Jesus was in the boat, right? So 
they are, they are uh, saying, we're going to die. We're afraid we're going to die. And they even, even kind of get a little bit, I say, sassy, but Jesus is like, you know, aren't you, don't you care that we are about to die? And I, I, you know, Jesus had been asleep in the boat. Apparently, he wasn't worried. <laughs> Apparently, he wasn't afraid that they were going to die. But it says that he arose, and I just picture him just kind of stretching. Everybody else is screaming for their lives, right? But he, he says to the sea, peace, be still. Three words, peace, be still. And what's really, 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 really cool about that is if you look at the original word in Greek, what he really said was, I am. <laughs> he is the great I am. And that unleashed the authority that he walked in because he is the great I am. And even the wind and the waves had to obey. And it says the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he turned to his disciples and said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, they were still learning who Jesus really was. Uh, Andrew just cracked me up. He said, it's no wonder they were called disciples. He said, <laughs> sometimes after amazing miracles they still question whether he was really God or not sent from heaven so um, I thought that was pretty funny so the again Jesus commands he didn't beg he didn't ask he didn't say if it be your will he just said peace be still so is it right and proper and effective for you and I as believers to pray the same commanding prayers I absolutely believe it is and we may think out of respect that we need to ask God, and I absolutely believe in respecting our awesome God, but I believe that Jesus is honored when we receive what he left for. When we do what he asked us to do, he said, anything you ask in my name, I'm doing it for you, but ask in faith, ask in faith. And it's not saying all the right words. It's not being a good prayer, <laughs> okay? <laughs> In my family, I get asked to pray a lot because Karen is a good prayer. And it's like, I'm just praying the word of God. And it's not saying cool prayers and, you know, you see people trying to be clever and cute. That's okay. That's fine. But it's not even having a strong enough faith. It's believing, seeing it, believing it, and receiving it, and knowing that Jesus is the one who is going to do it. So... Here's a, maybe an example of a prayer that might sound familiar, and may, maybe it's not. But oftentimes you hear prayers that might sound like this. Oh God, I am nothing. I have nothing. Sounds pretty humble, doesn't it? But I believe you can do anything. That's true. Please come and move in our midst. Or would you please heal me? Asking for something that Jesus already provided. Because by his stripes, we have been healed according to the word of God. So first of all, when we ask him to come, he's already here. Okay. And second of all, he's already moved. But that is really not praying from a prayer from a position of commanding. How about changing that slightly and having it sound more like this? In myself, I am nothing. 
I do not have the ability or virtue in and of myself, but I am in covenant with you, Father. I am a brand new creature in creation in Jesus. Therefore, you have deposited the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead into my born-again spirit. My confidence is in you that when I lay my hands on the sick, they will recover. And see, we don't make it about me. We make it about him and what Jesus has already done and provided me the power to do it. But I will say this, you have to dare to do it. You have to dare to do it. And I told the story. Can I tell it again? <laughs> I told the story um, because these things, I feel really, I've been on that quest to just say, God, Show me what it is that is disconnected in my life. I want to see more of your promises in, uh, in my life. Um, in May of this past year, my father-in-law, who had been in the hospital for a week, suddenly died while in the hospital. I mean, his heart stopped. And we thought he was coming home that day, but as they were preparing for him to go home, he coded. He completely coded, and they resuscitated him. But I got a phone call Thursday morning. We have our ladies' meeting, um, Thursday morning impact. Um, you need to get to Metro Hospital. Your father-in-law coded, and they need you there immediately. So I left the meeting early, got there. I was one of the first people there with my mother-in-law. And the uh, he, he was on complete and total life support. Um, fully intubated, had the tube, you know, and uh, looked gray, was, had been heavily sedated, you know, just to calm his body. But they had been able to resuscitate him, but he was on full life support. So what my senses told me is that this is really bad. <laughs> what the news that the doctors told us was, after a couple of hours, you know, they had to keep doing tests and um, during that time, more and more of our family uh, kept arriving, and the news just went from bad to worse. They said that twice he failed what they call a 10-point uh, test for brain activity, and he failed it both times. And there was there, no response. They touch the eyeball. They do all these different things. He did not respond once. And so by this time, about mid-morning, the doctors came out and very, I would say, appropriately told us what the natural course of things are. When this happens, and we've given him plenty of time to come, you know, uh, out of the sedation, and he still isn't responding, says, gather in groups of four or five and go say your goodbyes, basically. Let your family know um, that you can have a day or two to think about it, pray about it, but you will be having to decide when you'll be removing him from life support. And somebody asked a question that we were all thinking, but nobody wanted to say. So are you telling us that if you remove him from life support right now, he will not live, he will not survive? And he said, yes, that is what we're telling you. So clinically, they were declaring him brain dead. And so um, my husband was in the room and everybody was lining up and I kind of elbowed my way to the front. And I just thought, I'm going in. I'm just going in because all this time I've been kind of sitting in the waiting room with my mother-in-law and wanting to be support. Well, she was there. My husband was there. And so I decided I was going to join them. And I walked in the room. And again, everything that we had heard gave us zero hope. Everything that you could see looked absolutely like death. And so I said to everyone in the room, 
we're all believers, I said, we need to pray. We haven't prayed. And only death had been spoken over him. No hope, no life. And I began to walk toward the bed, and I'll never forget, because, see, the enemy doesn't want you to do any of this. He, does, he never wants to uh, allow you to step out in faith, and especially not to use the name of Jesus. And I'm walking toward the bed, and this thought comes into my mind and says, oh, you're going to pray just because you're a pastor. And I, everything in me had to rise up and say, oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lay hands on my father-in-law. I'm going to speak life because I believe in the mighty name of Jesus. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Jesus said, if I will use his name, that he will do it. And I dare to believe his word. And everything in me did not feel like my senses were telling me this is a very difficult situation. In fact, it said it was impossible. But I, I had to answer that and say, no, I am doing this because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And so when I laid hands on him, I just simply said, Father God, we speak life. And I began to speak to his brain. I said, brain, we call you healed and whole. You line up with the word of God. I believe that you are being recreated and life and healing is flowing through your brain right now. And we speak to your spine and we began to speak to different parts of his body. And the, he was being kept alive this whole time. Yes, about, with, with the, um, the machines. But I... With the eye of my faith, I could see that God was causing us to, to release faith. Not because of any kind of reaction, because I'd love to tell you his eyes flew open and everything was fine. It wasn't. Zero response at that moment. But we released, we prayed in the name of Jesus, we released life, and I believe we released faith. And so I left the room to give somebody else a chance to come. About 20 minutes into this whole process, another group of people walked in, and one of my, um, my husband's uncle's big, loud guy, he says, Wally, he says, your fishing buddy's here. He says it really loud. And this time, my father-in-law moved his head. Eyes closed, hooked up to every kind of machine and beeper that you can think of, and yet he's moving his head up and down, tube down the throat, the whole thing. And the doctors all just kind of went, oh, hmm, interesting, surprise. So my mother-in-law in the room, they say to her, ask him something that he has to respond no to, because they thought, maybe this is just a muscle reaction. <laughs> right? Okay. All right. So they're trying to explain it in the natural, because quite honestly, they had already proclaimed him, already declared him brain dead. And so my mother-in-law, she's just, she's, super funny and they had this and my father-in-law being a character as he is she says to him Wally do you love me we get this reaction she says do you love me all the time he goes like this because they had this running standing joke that they loved each other but sometimes they didn't like each other and so he is starting to respond very appropriately. And then she asked him, do you like being in the hospital? And he just violently shook his head back and forth. 
And within 20 minutes, his eyes were open. He was squeezing our hands. He was recognizing. He was trying to talk to the point where about an hour or two later, they finally removed the, the two because he was trying to talk. And he was, and, and I say, he started talking and he never stopped. He knew that he had a second lease on life. And everyone said, oh, you, uh, you're just so lucky. And at one point I said, Dad, we need to change our conversation because Jesus Christ raised you from the dead. Because, <laughs> because we used his name. We dared to believe that what Jesus was able to do when he commanded Lazarus out of the tomb, the same power was through us like a conduit, and he did it. So my confidence is not in my own ability, but my confidence is in what Jesus has already done. He did say it's finished, right? <laughs> so everything that we need has already been finished and is waiting for us. And I like to think about, I've been studying Hebrews 4. There's so much in Hebrews 4. But it starts out talking about how the children of Israel were given the promised land, weren't they? Now, they were still slaves when they received the promise. They had to get out of Egypt. That's another whole story in itself. God raised up Moses to lead the, these people. It literally took them two years uh, wandering, we say, but traveling through the desert. And they were standing at the precipice of the border of the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. They could look into their promised land that God had promised. And he said, if you go in and possess the land, I'll fight your battles, is what God said. So here, in, oddly enough, the trip actually from Egypt to the Promised Land apparently is only an 11-day journey on foot. Now, they took their time getting there. You know, they had to sacrifice and receive and allowed. all kinds of things happened in between. But they finally are there. And, you know, it takes a long time to move a couple million people. So anyway, here they are. And what do they do instead of believing God, instead of taking him at his word, because he says, I'll fight your battles for you, they sent the spies in, the 12 spies, you know, 10 men went to spy, or 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good, you know, that's a little Sunday school song. And what did they see when they spied on Canaan? They saw giants and they said, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Oh, it's a beautiful land. There's a land flowing with milk and honey, but we cannot go in. And I think that might be one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible because here they are standing at their promise and they refuse to go in and let God fight their battles. They refuse to possess their land. And Hebrews 4 tells us because they did not mix it, the promise that God made to them, did not mix it with faith. See, we have been given every precious promise and we say that all of God's promises are yes and amen. But if you're not willing to dare to go and possess the promise and use the name of Jesus and, and not mix it with faith, we will not enjoy those promises. We will not go into our promised land. And so what happened, I, I, it's, it's just, just a tragedy because of their unbelief and because of their fear and they didn't allow God uh, to fight their battles and they didn't uh, go in and possess their land. 
they had to march around and this time really wander in the desert for 38 more years. They didn't have to do that. They could have possessed their land. Those 38 years were wasted years because every single one of them had to die before they went into the promised land because they were still stuck in their slave mentality, their woe is me mentality, their grasshopper mentality. And if, if they were grasshoppers in their own sight, how little was their God? Even smaller. And so here we are. They had to march around the desert until all the original people, all the original slaves had died away. And now what rose up was a generation of warriors. And they still had Joshua and Caleb, the same two, and said, no, we can go in. We must go in and possess the land. And the people refused. So we can refuse God's precious promises, and we can wander around in our desert for 38 years and not experience everything that God has paid such a great price through Jesus for us to enjoy. I'm ready to possess the land. <laughs> I, I double-dog dare myself to believe in God for things that I've never done before because, again, my confidence is not in my ability to pray right, to have enough faith to pray the right words. It's not about that. It's believing that God truly, when we pray powerful prayers and we keep our eyes on the, on the power in the name of Jesus, he's the one that does it. I love that story too. Um, here now, uh, the disciples, Peter and John, were on their way to the temple and they stopped to talk to the man who was lame, begging for alms. And Peter says, don't have any money, empty pockets. But what I do have, I give to you. And what did he have? The name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. And he just said he had learned what authority looked like. Now they got it. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they were walking in the same power and authority that they experienced when they were with Jesus. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Again, simple words, a command. Do it, up, walk. And you know, I don't think that the man, had the man not mixed faith with it, it's possible he would not have walked. But Peter says, when he took hold of the man's hand with a firm grip and raised him up, at once the man's ankle bones and feet became strong and steady. And this is where he was walking and leaping and praising God. And so Peter said, this is what I have. Money's not going to help you. I, I might, you know, be able to buy you a loaf of bread, but let's do better than that. In the name of Jesus, you walk. You are healed. All right. Mm -hmm. So I love that scripture, going back to one that we already read. Um, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's in Luke ten nineteen again. And I like, again, the King James Version mentions the word power twice. But there are two different Greek words actually used in that sentence for power. The first power, and I can't read it to you. I don't read Greek, but you won't remember it anyway. So um, it's often translated as authority. But the second power is tr often translated as physical power. So authority is the first one. It's a positional thing. And the second one is the physical power. So it, 
these are, this is the power that enabled the disciples to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing by any means would hurt them. This is the authority with teeth in it or authority with enforcement powers. And I guess it, it may remind me of uh, maybe a police officer in that he has the authority to arrest someone, you know, doing something against the law. And then he has the gun to enforce it, right? <laughs> so what God's telling us is that I give you authority, the right to tread on serpents and scorpions, and the right and the position to um, have power over all the power of the enemy. And the power of the enemy is referring to what he is able to do to us in the physical sense. But the owner, um, so how great is our God who not only gives us authority, but also the power to carry out his will. This is a long teaching, so I'm going to have to kind of pick it up here. Uh, let's, let's do one more. Um, Mark 11 is probably one of the most uh, familiar scriptures when we talk about faith and how faith works. And we're talking about praying powerful prayers. So, again, I love to observe Jesus. How did he do it? What did he say? It's not what he said, but it's the authority that he was standing in. And we have this story when Jesus, it says he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree covered with leaves, he went to see if he could find any fruit on it. So, but when he came upon it, he found nothing but leaves, for the fig season had not yet come. And he said to it, no one ever again shall eat fruit from you. And his disciples were listening to what he said. What I like about that is that Jesus cursed the fig tree. Then he says, you're never going to bear fruit again. And he cursed the fig tree and then he turned around and walked away. I like what Marilyn Hickey says. She oftentimes when she's ministering, she'll say, okay, we're going to pray for, and then she'll have a couple of things that are specific. A lot of times she'll say lumps and bumps. <laughs> if you've got lumps and bumps in your body, she said, we're going to curse it. And she says, now just walk away. Don't keep checking it and see, is it still there? Is it still there? You know, oh, it's still there. Oh, it didn't work. That's not true. Our healing is complete the moment you pray and receive it. Now your body has to line up with what you're believing and what the Word of God says. But she just says, just walk away. Recently, um, I don't, still don't know what it was, but I noticed that when I extended my hand like this, I had this really weird bump. It just kind of poked through, and I went, ooh, that's just really weird. <laughs> and I noticed that it was kind of restricting the movement in my hand. And I just remember, I went, I curse you in the name of Jesus. You just have to go away. That was quite a while ago. And just the other day, I was like, oh, it's gone. <laughs> but I wasn't checking it, checking it, rechecking. Did it work? Did it work? Did it work? We have to believe and receive it when we pray. And we're going to read a little bit more on that. So Jesus just walked away. Well, in the morning when they were passing along, they noticed that the fig tree was withered completely away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Master, look, the fig tree which you doomed has withered away. Of course, that doesn't happen overnight. I don't know, you can't really explain that in the natural. And Jesus replied to them saying, have faith in God and in the Amplified it says constantly, don't waver in our faith in God. 
Truly I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes that what he says will take place, it will be done for him. And I, again, we find that it's not us doing it. It's us connecting like a conduit to the power so that God will do it for you. He says, it will be done for you. For this reason, I'm telling you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe, trust, and be confident that it is granted to you, and you will get it. And whenever you stand praying, oh, he talks about forgiving and and those things that are very important there. But what he's telling us is that when you pray, receive it. Do not doubt in your heart. Believe that what you say will take place. It will be done for him. So that's, I think, uh, we oftentimes talk to God about our mountain, but Jesus said, speak to your mountain. And I like to say, don't let your mountain speak to you. (laughs) Because healing, like I said, well, let's say it this way. You're a three-part being. Your spirit is completely filled with the same power that raised Christ from the dead because we have the same spirit as Jesus Christ, right? But we also have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Then we have a physical body. So two out of three parts of us didn't get saved. So we still deal with physical things and emotions and our mind and our will. So, which is very important. That's why it's very important to get our minds renewed, which just simply means wash your thinking, wash your mind, get your... your, thinking lined up with the Word of God, and when your mind is lined up with the Word of God in an agreement with what God's Word is, you have released faith. You mix it with faith. You see the promise and you release faith. You say, that's mine. I am choosing to believe that. I am choosing to to believe what God's Word says above what I'm feeling, above what the doctors are saying, above the diagnosis, whatever it is that we're, we're looking at that my senses are not ruling what I'm believing. I'm believing what the Word of God says over and above that. Now my mind, my will, and my emotions are lined up with my spirit, which is 100% in agreement with God. Now it's two or three against, uh, two against uh, one, and your body is in the minority, and it has to line up. And that's why I believe that laying hands on my father-in-law when he was pronounced dead, and we didn't... We refuse to receive it as final because Jesus didn't receive it as final. And when he used his name, we saw the dead raised. Um, I believe that that is why I could have confidence in that because I had been washing my mind and saying, this is what God has provided to for us to walk in. Double dog daria to believe God's word. And take him at his word and let him do it. So he cursed the fig tree. It withered up from its roots, and they were amazed. But he did say, no doubting in your heart. And I believe that's just a work of the Holy Spirit. Just keep washing your mind, washing your thoughts. When a thought comes that it doesn't line up with the Word of God, the Bible says to do what? Take it captive. Hold it up to the light of God's Word. Say, mm, that doesn't agree, and throw it out. Receive the truth over the, the, the very thing that, see, we can't be sense-ruled anymore, can we? We've got to begin to learn to walk in our sixth sense, which is faith. So whatever 
It is you ask for in prayer, believe and trust and be confident in God that it is granted to you and you will get it. So, in conclusion, see, I don't believe faith moves God. God's already moved. He has already accomplished everything that we need because it was finished on the cross. So the Lord doesn't look at our praying and our confessing and our begging and our fasting. He's not sitting up there going, hmm, no, not going to answer this one this time. Mm, nope, got to learn a little bit more patience there. Nope, you, you, weren't, uh, you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing, and that's why you got sick. No, he doesn't do that. I believe that when we take God at his word because of his love and his grace, he will do when we pray and we speak to our mountain and we say in the name of Jesus, mountain, be cast in the sea. So that's why we can say according to 1 Peter 2.24, by whose stripes I have been already finished, done, deal, healed. That's what it says. Of course, I added a little bit to that. So we are no longer trying to get something from God, but rather we are learning how to receive everything that he has already provided through the finished work of the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, you paid such a great price. And then you provided everything that we need to succeed in this life. There is no need that we have no diagnosis so great, no lack so great that you have not already provided a way to meet that need. Sometimes, Lord, it seems impossible, but thank you, Jesus, that you said with God nothing is impossible. Thank you that you specialize in the impossible. Thank you that there is nothing final in your spirit, nothing final in your kingdom when we believe in the power that is released by the very name of Jesus. And so thank you that you've given us permission to use your name and all and backed by all the power of heaven. And thank you that you've given us authority, the same authority that you walked in. And so right now, would you just ask God, what is it that he wants you to take authority over in your life. And it might be in your body. It might be a situation. It could be an emotion. It could be an emotional hurt. Something that may have even seemed impossible. So can we speak to that mountain? If we could just say out loud together. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak to this mountain. I use the name of Jesus. I walk in the authority and power, the same authority and power that Jesus walked in. Now just lay that request before God.
And depending on what it is, sometimes we walk away and we just trust God. Sometimes it may take some time before the manifestation comes. But Father, we're not going to walk by sight. We will walk by faith because we're going to choose to release faith. We mix our faith with the promise that you have for us in that area, whether it be for healing, whether it be for finances, whether it be for provision, whether it be for deliverance, whether it be for a loved one. We mix faith, Father God, with your precious promises that you said are yes and amen. And you said that if we'll doubt not and use your name, that you would do it for us. And so we trust you. And thank you for loving us to do these things. But Father, we will rest and we will wait on you. And we will not grow weary, but we will keep our eyes and our trust in you. Teach us, Lord, what that looks like. Help us to walk in more and more of the beautiful promises that you have for us because you're always trying to get good things to us. You withhold no good thing is what your word says. And so we give you all the praise. We trust in you and thank you that you are faithful to your promises in Jesus name. Amen and amen.